What makes good sex good? <laughs> ah, great. The, the, the golden question. Trust and patience and talking. I wasn't scared to communicate what I wanted, and neither was she. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Peak, the talk show about what makes good sex good. I'm your host, Robin Wheelock, and uh, I am I am speaking to you as usual from the comfort of my bedroom, um, not only because that's where I always record, but this is because this is where I have been for about a week now. Um, I am sure you're aware of COVID-19 and the coronavirus, and I truly hope that all of you are currently self-isolating somewhere safe. Um, I'm sending all of you so much love and care and compassion right now. And um, yeah, I really hope that you're washing your hands and finding ways to cultivate joy for yourself in this very strange and surreal time. Um, I just wanted to say that although there has been a lot of upheaval and cancellations because of the coronavirus pandemic, the peak is not going anywhere. We plan to continue to create and release new content exploring how human beings can find intimacy practice safe sex, and connect to ourselves sensually in a time where social distancing is a public health necessity. Um, Or as I've heard some people starting to say, uh, distant socializing. Uh, So we don't have to completely cut ourselves off from one another. We can still find ways to connect from afar. Um, If you have it in your heart and in your wallet to support us during this time, we invite you to become a sustaining member of our Patreon, or to shoot us a one-time donation on PayPal or um, or Venmo. And, um, and if not, please just keep listening, keep sharing, and keep loving one another. <sighs> Let's all take a deep breath. <sighs> so today, I have the profound pleasure to be joined by poet, community leader, and badass mama, Lauren Zunaga. Thank you. How are you today, Lauren? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I'm really so excited to have you on the show. Um, One, because you're a fellow Oklahoman. um, And two, just because I have been reading and hearing performances of your poetry since I was a preteen. In addition to getting to see you perform many times, I've been in, or I used to be very involved in public speech and debate in Oklahoma. And your poems were very popular in the poetry category. That's so funny. So I always forget that. And like, (laughs) people will tell me that and I'll be like, Send me a video. I never get to see videos of it or anything, but I've heard that 
that uh, I know a woman now who's a in the she. <laughs> this is how old I feel now. Um, she is now in, like finished with college, and when she was in high school, she won like state or something with one of my poems in that. And I was just like, wow, that's a high high honor. Well, I I've given the listeners a little bit of background on you, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself in your own words? Oh. Um, well, I am, a, I identify as queer femme and Oki. I have lived here all my life in Oklahoma. I've lived in 69 addresses, um, in <laughs> Oklahoma city alone. So that's a good number. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, um, uh, so I have like a love hate relationship with this city and state for sure. Um, but it's my home and, um, I have been performing poetry, um, at some level for about, oh wow, 20 years. Um, but I have been like kind of professionally, uh, performing and, and competing since about 2009. Um, and, yeah, so it just kind of became, I won a poetry slam when I was 18 with a rap because I used to be a rapper. Um, and at that time, you would get whatever was in the hat. They would just pass the hat for the poetry slam. And the winner of the slam uh, got what was in the hat. So I won $12, two cigarettes, and a condom. And <laughs> I decided that poetry was my calling because I had never won anything rapping. And so I've been doing that ever since. Awesome. Yeah. How would you describe your sexual identity and personality? You already touched on this a little. I did. And I love this question. And it's one, the first one that I was like, oh, I have a poem for this. Um, <laughs> it's actually not a poem. It is a, um, we'll call it an excerpt from my former OK Cupid profile. Um, and it is, kind of what I started writing when people would ask me questions like that. I think specifically online, um, I, hmm. dating in the queer world is weird. Okay. Let me take a sip of water. So I don't really like the word lesbian, uh, because it sounds like straight male porn. Gay <laughs> is an adjective that I use to describe a kind of love that is so radiant and it makes you kind of sick to your stomach. Like when my roommates eat off the same plate and one's like, no, you eat the last piece of vegan bacon. You have to work today. Gay. <laughs> uh, I am only pansexual if that involves coconut oil. I don't feel like I'm bisexual because that implies that there are only two genders. And I think there are as many genders as there are locker combinations, as there are nervous humans making sense of their skin. It's like every person has this unique set of desires and offerings. I like to call this little gift basket our Jibo. Jibo stands for gender, expression, behavior, and orientation, or give everyone bigger options. Gay is everyone being open. Gold echoes, bright oceans, grown emotional babes offering glorious, ever-blooming orgasms, gorgeous evenings, bent over. 
So, baby, tell me about your Jibo. Tell me about the perfect way that you like to express yourself in relationships, how you do power, how you dress, what kind of bodies you like to play with, and how you are most likely to get off. You could put your Jibo against my Jibo, and we could turn a few notches to the left, full circle to the right, back and forth until we click and spring open. My Jibo is tights and striped dresses, too many purses and scarves that I buy but never wear because I think good cleavage is better than a good trend. I am granola femme, queer mama. I prefer she pronouns and I like it when you use your hands. I am hard flirt. Leave my skirt on. I want you to objectify me, but I want to know that you know that I'm letting you objectify me. My preferred Jibo is a vast array of masculine identified trans dannies, female bodied dream boats, uh, gender queer farmers, cisgender male class clowns who identify as feminists and see the word ally as a verb, not a badge to wear to the book club. Must be good with power tools and or feelings. You should message me if you want to read out loud in bed. You want to walk around strange towns and get day drunk. Talk to the waiter in British accents. Pretend to be spies at the park if you want to spend a Friday night getting creamed by two kids in a lip sync battle then I am Lauren <laughs> oh man so that was a little chunk of my former dating profile um it's funny Jibo is a real word uh now it is I it's in the urban dictionary so you can use it I put it there <laughs> um, but that doesn't make it less real. Um, what is funny to me is that I started using that term um, back in 2012 or whatever. And um, I really was just using it as a way because like in my house where I lived, I lived with all these uh, queer folks. And it just really was hard to like make assumptions about who people were dating and, and having sex with. And so it was like, um, you didn't want to, if someone came home, like I'm crushing on someone new, you know, and you didn't want to be like, Oh, who is he or her or she, you know, you just didn't want to make assumptions. And so we would just say like, what's their Jibo, you know? And then it, it opens it up to a lot bigger conversation of like, you know, how they do power, um, their top, their, you know, whatever it might be. And, um, I I said something about it online and someone messaged me and said, did you know that Jibo is actually an ancient rune? Um, and it means the gifts that we bring to a relationship. Really? Yeah. And I was like, that is perfect. Perfect. Of course it is. That is remarkably serendipitous. Right? I know. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that kind of answers that question. That perfectly answers that question. <laughs> that was the perfect poem uh, dating profile excerpt to share. My daughter just entered asking what that poem was called. That's uh, fine. It's not really a poem. It's like Jibo. I just call it the Jibo poem. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Did you have you ever read that at a performance? Oh, yeah, I've been uh, saying this one lately uh, or pieces of it. I have like because it's kind of like it was a, it was pieces of my OK Cupid profile. Um, there's pieces of it that have been in other poems as well. And, it, gotcha. and it's kind of like uh, kind of a um, what do you call it? A, 
collage of all the, like, you know, answers about my identity. Well, I love it. And I, I've definitely heard you recite at least parts of it before. And it made me tear up a little one just because it's, it's wonderful to hear you recite and two just (sighs) makes me miss getting to go to shows. Right. Yeah. I've been really (sighs) missing poetry this week, especially. Um, I didn't know that I was missing, you know, like it's one of those things where I could go a long time without going to a poetry show and not really realize that I miss it. But then when you can't, you're suddenly like, wow, um, I miss the exchange, you know, yeah. the exchange of, of creative energy there. <sighs> oh. uh, well, that means it's just an extra blessing to get to talk to you today. Yeah. Okay. Gonna look at my list again and ground myself. Mm. Yeah, water for everyone. Water for everyone. All right. How would you describe your first time having sex or a significant early sexual experience? Yes. Um, Okay, so... The first time I had hetero sex <laughs> was when I was 14 um, and my mom was asleep in the next room. I think she was napping and the basketball game was on. I'm not sure which. And um, it was with my eighth grade boyfriend, Brian. And it's funny looking back on that because I feel like I... It was it was awkward and painful and quick. Um, And I remember at the beginning, before we did it, I thought I'm the only person in the world that hasn't had sex. Like I felt like everyone had done this thing that was like a thing you had to do. Um, And I was the only one that had it. And then as soon as I did it and told all my friends, like call them on my little clear phone with the where you could see the parts. And it was the 90s. and I like called them probably a three way call. Turns out no one's had sex. Like everyone <laughs> was lying. I don't know. But I was like felt suddenly like the only one um, in the world that, that had done it, you know, that, that was my age. And so I think I instantly had a lot of shame. Um, but I feel like it overall was good. Right. Like that particular experience was good. I look back on some of my first queer experiences um, that were even that predate that. And those were like beautiful. You know, those were just like girls touching girls and just being like really loving and um, affirming. And I think that probably is a better first experience to think about. Right. My mom was kind of like so I, I thought about this, too. Like my mom had the philosophy of. Like, you probably shouldn't have sex before you get, well, it wasn't like you get married, but like until you're really in love, which I was definitely in love when I was 14. And if you do have sex, uh, there's condoms in the drawer was kind of like her method. That was like our only conversation really about it. And so luckily I knew like where to locate that. And I knew, you know, 
um, that I had to be in love, which I was. And so I was doing everything right by those standards. And so I felt pretty good about it in that way. Cool. (laughs) Would you tell me a little bit about some of your first queer experiences? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the question, I think that's coming up about like good sexual experiences that you've had. Um, like, well, for one thing, I didn't start having really great sex until I was about 28. Um, and it was after I divorced my ex-husband and had two children. Um, but I don't know if it was because of that or if it was, um, just my age that I was finally able to like fully orgasm and have, you know, really, um, intense orgasms. Um, and so I, sex just got a lot better in my thirties basically. Um, and, but when I was about 28 was when I also started having more sex with women and calling it sex and not being like, Oh, this is just like foreplay that I'm having with a woman, you know, real sex is with man. Like I was such a dumb straight girl for a while. (laughs) And, um, I wouldn't even call it that. And then I think the first time I had sex with my ex-girlfriend, um, Jill was like mind blowing. I had never, um, it's like when you are fucked properly is when you realize like what sex really is, you know? And like how like this, I think, I think whether it's sex or not is, in the, <laughs> the eye of the vagina. That was not a phrase I expected. Uh, not <laughs> what I meant to say. Uh, but, you know, once you fuck properly, you know, right? That's how yeah. it's supposed to be done. Um, and so I think that um, that spe- like kind of stands out as like one of my early really great experiences, even though I was a grown ass woman, like, you know, grown ass woman and I had never so I remember I also expanded my language a lot at that time so before you know you would as a straight woman married oh gosh I won't even let you ask questions like I will literally just go off talking about this stuff so you rein me in when you want to okay okay um but I was married for eight years in a very heteronormative relationship by that I mean my ex-husband was part of a like religious cult. Um, Which one? The Unificationists. Um, I haven't heard of them. Moonies, they call them. They get like you'll see old videos of like them of mass weddings. We got married in a mass wedding and like oh. giving. You know, they used to sell flowers at the airport. They're like full on um, cult. But anyway, it's a very like hetero cult um they believe that like homosexuality is wrong and husband and wife are like the only people that can get into heaven it's deep it's gross um and um all that to say that like okay so when we first got married i was like 20 maybe um, and we went to the United Nations. We got married in a mass wedding. Um, 200 couples from 135 different countries in the United Nations. And um, 
up until that time, that's called the blessing, that ceremony. Up until that time, we had to be celibate for 40 days. And so it was like this weird like thing. And then after the blessing, after we like had this ceremony, we could have sex, but only one time per day for three days. And it was like this ritual that we had to go through to reenact the Garden of Eden. You did not know that it was going to get this deep. <laughs> I'm fascinated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'll come back around. But this, so we had to reenact the Garden of Eden and um, would do have sex like in each position. It was like he was on top and then I was on top like the next night. And then we were like, I don't know what we did the third night, but that was like the three day ceremony that we were supposed to do after we got married. And, and so that was what I was coming out of. Um, when I separated from my husband and when I got a divorce, I bought a house. I named it Clementine and I asked a bunch of queers to move in and I started real, you know, I came out, um, I started dating women and different gender nonconforming folks and like expanding my whole sexual horizons. And I think also the release of that, like shame and that feeling of, um, there's only one reason to have sex and that's for, you know, procreation or whatever, um, moving out of that and into just pure like acceptance of myself and whatever my desires were, I think was what really liberated my ability to have sex and also expanded greatly my language for what was happening during sex. Right. So before that I had maybe had an orgasm, like literally, literally, um, <laughs> while I was married, but never uh, vaginally. And so it wasn't until after I, and so my ex-girlfriend, we would call it inside cum and outside cum. You know, like you, we couldn't, we wouldn't usually stop until, you know, we had done both. And uh, it would be like, did you outside, did you inside, you know. You know when you inside come, but you don't always know when you outside come. And so, uh, where was I? <laughs> inside and <laughs> outside coming like, with your good girlfriend. Dear experiences is like be having a having more words and more limbs and more holes and more like parts to play with and and like more safety in doing so and more ability to communicate what I needed. What a remarkable story. I had no <laughs> I had no idea about Where do we go? The Moonies. Yeah, the Moonies are there's something. What a strange like biblical, almost like poetic theatrical ritual. I know, right? Well, and it's not even the worst one. So like we um basically got divorced after we he wanted to go to Chicago to liberate our ancestors in the spirit world and it cost a hundred dollars per generation and we had just gotten our tax refund and he wanted to do that and so we go to this like ceremony my I only wanted to go because I wanted to go to the Green Mill which is like the birthplace of Poetry Slam in Chicago so I was like fine whatever let's go liberate our ancestors and we go into this big room at this hotel and they were like pardon me slapping each other just like 
pounding the spirits out of each other, like hitting each other's bodies. And um, that whole trip was like the breaking point for me. I was just like, I can't, I can't really do this anymore. I think when I started, I was just curious and felt like I just really think that all people's paths are okay. Like whatever your path is for your spiritual life, that's, that's you, you know, like, um, and so I just kind of felt like, yeah, that's makes as much sense as anything else. Um, but after seven, eight years, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So. Well, good for you. Yeah. It all worked out. It did. So what can you tell us about your best sexual experiences? Yeah. I mean, I think I talked a little bit about that, but um, my best sexual experiences have definitely been with my current partner. Like, um, and I think back to, you probably don't ever want to say to your partner, like, it was a long time ago, <laughs> but no, but I think it just happened to be the time that we were in. Um, that was really fun. So like my partner's, uh, my husband is trans and when we met, um, he was still, he still identified as a girl for like the first year that we were together. But when he first started tea, you know, your testosterone like boosted is really you get pretty horny. And so, and I don't know why I was so horny, but I know that he was working nights and, um, we lived in this house over, uh, well, there was a church that had church bells and they would ring every 15 minutes. And so during the day when the kids were at school, we would just have so much sex and um and it was so free and like furious and and wonderful and then we would just like listen for the bells like when when it was like you know four bells like we knew it was like four o'clock and then it would be like 15 minutes okay we've got to go get the kids you know so we would just like furiously be trying to have sex more <laughs> before the next bell you know and it was just like that uh hunger and stuff i think made it for for some of the best sex i've ever had wow <laughs> so you know what they say about poets yes <laughs> i guess Oof. i i don't really know what they say about poets i just wanted to say <laughs> you know what they say about poets yes um but i guess they do say that poets are romantic obviously they have a way with words um, one, one question I wrote down for you is, does poetry impact your relationship with sex? I don't know. Okay. I, I think this is the one where I stopped answering the question. I don't have any more notes after this. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, but I went looking for this poem I wrote a long time ago about, um, being a poet and, like the way that I think I had gotten in a fight with my girlfriend at the time because everything I see is so sensual and sexual and like, um, meta symbolic, you know? And, uh, I think at times she was an accountant and it would be a little annoying, you know, like, um, as far as just my need to like really, 
bite into everything juicy about life. And um, so I'm not answering your question at all. I think it definitely impacts it on some level. I just don't know exactly what what it is. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. It's just, I think I would say, okay, how about this? I think probably the number way, number one way it impacts me is that I want to write about it. And there are definitely poems about sexual encounters I've had on YouTube so any of my lovers that those poems are about, like, just have to know that that's out in the world now or it's on a bookshelf somewhere. And that's really they just have to deal with that. And so that can sometimes get in the way of things. Gotcha. <laughs> How do you write a good love or sex poem? Man, that's the eternal question of every poet, right? Because like, there's so many bad ones, um, especially sex poems, you know, coming up in the slam world, there were so many times where you'll hear somebody on a microphone at a slam and you just think, should I be paying money for this? Like, should I be paying $3.99 a minute back when that was the thing you had to, those numbers you would call, um, it feels dirty. And I think the trick of a, of a love poem or a sex poem that is, sexual and sensual but not vulgar is um you know that's what language is for right like there are so many words you can use that mean what you're trying to say that don't sound like a you know porn hub or whatever like you can you can talk about sex in ways uh i mean it's kind of like that fruit instagram channel you know where she's like just doing like really sensual things to fruit and you feel kind of weird about it because it's just like, Oh God, that's sexy. Um, and it's fruit. And like, I don't know if that's okay. Um, (laughs) and so it's like, I feel kind of like that's how a good poem is. You know, it just looks like you're like putting your finger in a grapefruit, but it's fucking hotter than that. (laughs) Uh, once on Valentine's day, I was at, a concert with my partner and all of the guests were given a red rose and he was holding his rose and just like touching the petals, like absentmindedly, not just sort of like touching the rose and experiencing it. And I was watching him do it. And very organically, he realized I was watching him and he started like fingering the rose. Oh, and it was, we were in a cathedral. <laughs> this concert was in a cathedral and I was watching him like just gently caress these <laughs> petals. And I'm like, this is one of the most erotic moments of my life. Yeah. It like totally makes me think of Seal, like being like, I fingered a rose by the way. Or, <laughs> like, that's pretty beautiful. In a cathedral, <laughs> wow. That's a that's a good story. Thank you. Um what is the best way to seduce a poet? <laughs> <laughs> um health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, it's funny actually I think that I think about it. Um I would have in the past probably said like you know, words, poems, things like that. I definitely have fallen for, I've been seduced by a lot of words. That is for sure. Um, 
But my husband now, like when we are one of our first dates, he gave me an IV after in the morning because like we had drank a lot the night before. I was really hungover um, and he's a nurse. And so he happened to have IV bags at his house and like ran an IV for me to give me fluids. And I was just like watching him talk about like sensual, weirdly sensual moments, like watching him like. Yeah, of like pluck my vein to get it to like come yeah. up and like insert the needle and like hydrate me. Entered. I was just like, oh, I'm yours. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That's a cool story. <laughs> Talk about symbolism. Yeah. So we're going to shift topics a little bit. You okay. are a mother. I am. Um, I've once heard you, uh, announce your pronouns as she, her, and mom. Yes, yes. How did becoming a mother impact your relationship with your body and your sexuality? Hmm. Um, There is definitely um, a feeling, like a stigma around mothers being sexual right like I mean you just don't I mean I guess there's MILFs and stuff but like I but think that's kind of taboo right exactly like I think most people um don't want to think about mothers being sexual and so um but I would say for me like like I said the best sex of my life was post being a mom so um I don't know if that changed you know my body's ability to experience pleasure um, or what, but uh, it definitely has been better since I've been a mom. Um, I've also been pretty vocal. I mean, I think early on when the kids were pretty small, I would kind of be like worried about them hearing poems um, about sexual experiences. Uh, obviously just cause you don't want to have to have that conversation, but like, as they've been older, I mean, they definitely have heard those poems and, uh, we're pretty open with each other about, um, all things sex, I guess. Uh, and so it's felt kind of important to like, when I first came out, I was really worried about coming out. Um, I was already a, a performing poet touring at that time before, I ever came out on stage and I was really nervous about doing it because I didn't want other poets or anyone to think that I was like, just, Oh, I'm jumping on the queer bandwagon, you know, like I'm, I'm queer too. Uh, and I was, I was doing a show with, um, my dear friend, Andrea Gibson, and they were like, Lauren, like how many queer moms from Oklahoma do you know that, get up on stages all over the country. Like, you know, there's a certain responsibility there um, that you have to come out. And like, you have to come out every time you come on stage or talk to anyone. Like they don't have to come out and they look pretty genderqueer. Um, and so I, I think once I sort of stepped into that, like understanding of the role that poetry and performance and visibility plays, um, I felt pretty like, passionate about continuing to do sex poems you know and um being very open about being a mom and being sexual what can you tell us about being 
a queer parent in Oklahoma? Um, I think, I think the biggest probably impact that it's had other than early on, I mean, like, let's say, pardon me, when I first came out or when I was first dating uh, women openly as a mom, uh, my ex-husband was really upset about it. I told you, like, he had religious beliefs about it. He wouldn't let us walk in the pride parade. Um, I felt really weird about being open with my ex-girlfriend um, who presented a lot more gay than I did. And so I had a lot of feelings about being seen. Um, I think I had a lot of baggage from, like, my mom uh, and my grandmother who had – my mom especially, I know, had had, like, you know – she, I don't know if she would consider herself bisexual, but she's like, we all experimented in college, you know, and like <laughs> everybody has a, uh, I, I, use, I have a line in a poem that's like every uh, straight girl has an Anne Hesh moment um, where they meet a woman so amazing. They question everything about their sexuality. My mother's Anne Hesh moment was named Kate. We think this is how my sister really got her name. <laughs> um, but she, so she was really like worried about me uh, being openly gay and ha- and like the potential of going into through a divorce or custody issue. Um, but that never materialized it. And eventually he, I don't know, he got it together. And um, I think I've definitely experienced some persecution, but I think the best thing is that like, we like living in Clementine with all these queer people, like my kids were just exposed to so much. Like they just, um, when, for example, when they first met my husband, like they were like, what's your pronoun, you know? And he was just like, why would you even ask me that at the time it was she. And he was just like, I don't even know why you would ask me that, you know? Um, (laughs) and so when he finally like, you know, came to terms with, uh, being trans and, you know, we said it doesn't have to be like a transition. Like we don't have to call it that. We can call it aligning, like you're aligning, you know, with your true self. And um, we thought it was going to be like this big production having to tell the kids and the kids were just like, okay, cool. Like let's go out for pizza or whatever. Like not a, not a big deal. So I think there's been that benefit too, that like they've experienced um, folks from every, uh, every kind of Jibo, you know, and they don't, it doesn't make them think twice, you know, so I feel like that's good. Yeah. What do you teach your kids about consent and sexuality and pleasure? Um, I would like to be like, oh, I teach them all these great things. Like, (laughs) you know, oh, yes, um, I've given them such good advice. Uh, Really, I would say my daughter and like teaches me about that stuff. Um, Since she's been pretty young, she's just kind of been a researcher. And she, you know, by the time I ever got around to asking her questions about her sexuality, she was already like, you know, I'm pansexual and like, here's all my, you know, and this is what consent is. And like, I took her to see the vagina monologues and she was like, 
that was really good, but like most of what they were talking about was a vulva. Um, and <laughs> I was just like, wow, you know, um, so I think like it's been more important probably to have consent conversations with my son. Um, and, and I have done that. I, you know, he's always just like, God, mom, like really you have to say this. Like I know these things and I'm like, yeah, but we got to, we got to talk about it. You know, um, I think he really notices the toxic masculinity, um, in his school. He's like, uh, in ninth grade, you know, my daughter's a senior. And so she's always, you know, trying to tell him what, what it's like, but, um, he is like, yeah, guys don't want to be gay. They don't want to be seen as fruity. Like, oh, you fruity is a thing they say all the time. And, you know, just like uh, no homo and that kind of stuff. And so, like, he's pretty conscious of not only, um, you know, consent, but uh, just like that toxic masculinity culture and how to sort of I don't know if he uh, has a lot of like real uh, conscious strategies to deal with it, but he, you know, he kind of deals with it in his own way and he's aware of it. And so that makes me proud. You know, I remember when he was like 10, um, and he said, he was like, you know, I don't know if I'm like gay or whatever, but I might want to have a girlfriend. So I should probably start taking showers. And it was like the best, like, you know, that's exactly what you need to be, like, thinking at 10 is, like, there's, it's, like, completely up, open-ended thing, this mm-hmm. idea of me being a sexual being or, you know, an intimate being, but I might want to shower if I'm going to do that. And From time to time. Yeah, I feel like that was, I was like, okay, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Yeah, sounds like the kids are all right. The kids are all right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um. So speaking of your kids and your family, how are you all coping with social distancing uh, mm. in the time of COVID-19? COVID, yes. It is weird. Um, I feel really fortunate that I'm able to work remotely. I work in communications, and we do most of the communications for the casinos. Um, and we do all the communications for most of the casinos in the state, which means it's a lot of like people, uh, a lot of closures, a lot of emails, a lot of websites. And so I'm able to be working right now. Um, my husband is in healthcare. He's an ICU nurse. And so he's really scared and he's um, not sure that they have the protective equipment that they need. Um, we are self quarantining, uh, right now because of that. You know, we, I mean, obviously everyone's social distancing, but like we're really trying <clears throat> not to, uh, be in contact with anyone else in case we're carriers. Um, and so it's, it's been kind of, uh, the kids are like, they were on spring break, but as we go into this next week, it's going to be like the first like real covid week you know where it's like we're not in school and they're already kind of going crazy so i mean good thing the internet exists but it's still a little maddening um but we're hanging in there how are you uh pretty similar my partner james is working from home um and that's a real blessing i 
was in the middle of a job search when I realized that things were getting very real and I probably wasn't going to be getting any interviews anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. But it's okay. I am really trying to make my creative impulses my silver lining right now. So I'm setting up a bunch of Skype interviews for good, the peak. I just bought a online a children's book illustration like course that Ooh, I had been that. eyeing for several yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. Um, I weave, so I'm weaving. Yeah, you um, are. And we are we're going to the park uh, every day that it's not raining mm. enough for us to go to the park. That's and um, we are not seeing anyone. Um, we we went to the grocery store a week ago, um, and I babysat on Wednesday but that was it so we are we're really trying to reduce any sort of social interaction um, I for one am really trying to stay in touch with loved ones online um, I'm an extrovert <laughs> and so I have to put into my daily practice like I mean, I don't even really think about it. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to get on Instagram and message a bunch of people and I'm going to call my friends and call my family. And I'm very, very thankful that I'm not self-isolating alone. Right. Um, I'm very happy that I'm with my partner. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I've never lived alone. What's that like? I, I never really have either. Oh. I only did for like a month at one point. Um, yeah, I've always been with people. Yeah, me too. I went straight from like my, like living with roommates to being married to having kids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, never alone. Listeners, if you are self quarantining alone right now, we would love to hear about your experiences. Feel free to shoot me a message or an email. Um, all of that's in the description. You know where to find me. Um, so Lauren, do you have a favorite love or sex poem by you or someone else that you would like to share with us? Yes. Okay. How about this? So I had one by someone else that I wanted to share, but I also could do one by myself. It's up to you if you want both of them. The one by someone else is short. The one by me is a little bit longer. Uh, like, like, say, two and a half minutes. Let's get both. Let's start okay. with the one by someone else. Okay. Yay. I never get to read other people's poems. This is so fun. <laughs> so this is a poem by my favorite poet, Shira Ehrlichman. And it is in her newest collection. I think it might be our only actual full-length collection, which is a crime. But anyway, she uh, it's called Ode to Lithium is the book, and the poem is called I'm Sitting with Bjork in My Bathtub. So it's like, yeah, anyway, you'll see. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. I'm sitting with Bjork in my bathtub, and she leans, takes my knee in her mouth like a puppy. This is her song. I am a pale mountain from her native landscape. She moans and it is my name. It is not sexy. It is sexual. My blue wrist 
suckled in her other mouth is an enchilada. I think about how my car won't sell on Craigslist. I think about how ill-prepared I am to do my taxes. She can tell my mind is elsewhere. She doesn't mind. She sucks a peach. I take her photograph and it is a selfie. There are so many ways to knead yourself, a faint nipple through the bubbles. She has no reason to hide from me. We are sisters in the army of almost. It is the way we flirt. We are never bored. Bjork uses a can opener to open the bath water. It's working. She slides my mental hospital evaluation papers into the water so they dissipate into tiny paper fish. This is her song. I am a mossy stone remembering its past life as a bird. She names every doctor who never met my eye. It is not political. It is a curse. My chest is an ivy wall replenished by her hacking hands. I think about how I threw up the bad medicine. I think about being told to just swallow it. She can tell I'm reliving the neon isolation of mind jail. She doesn't flinch, just sucks a jawbreaker. I see her tongue change color and exhale Exhale a fuck of rivers. There are so many ways to crown yourself. A perfect nipple glaciers through. She has no reason to judge me. We are sisters in the queendom of self. It is the way we work. We are sweetened sweat. Bjork puts a straw to my forehead and drinks the suds. It's lovely. Her eyes are truth wagons chugging along ancient dirt. It's like a sex poem, but not. <laughs> Those are my favorite kind of sex poems. I love it. It's, I mean, Bjork is the perfect, like, character partner. Right. For that poem. <laughs> exactly. Because she and also has that very childlike mm -hmm. energy. Which is funny because so does Shira, like this writer, is is like my Bjork, you know? So I think it's. Beautiful that my, my Bjork writes poems about her Bjork, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so this one that is by my, that I wrote, I wrote a long time ago. Um, and it's funny how I never get tired of saying it. Uh, and I, so it's, uh, kind of a popular, popular it's kind of popular um it's one of my like more viewed poems on youtube um and a question i've gotten from uh folks uh before is and i don't know where this version exists on youtube but there is a version that uses he pronouns um but the one i do now uses she pronouns and i'll explain why after okay so mm -hmm. All day long I expend. I hold together, I lift up, I give out. I pour light for our food supply, irrigate crops with my mouth is a rare occasion that I just take in. So when she asked if I was a dom or a sub, I didn't know what the fuck she meant. I just knew I wanted to be the opposite of her so that we could fit. Because to be quite honest, I would have settled for kissing her wrist. Now, I am a strong, liberated woman. My ex-husband will tell you that you will never find the words submit written on these palms, but they are always face up and open, ready to give. According to Cosmo, men like a woman that can take control. So I have long since memorized the erogenous zones, the exact placement of tongue for the desired response. I can always make a man's microphone. 
sing some pretty damn good songs. But I have no idea how to receive. She held me like the edge of a cliff holds the feet of the fed up, like the sky holds the surrender of a falling body. She maneuvered me like a canoe through crashing rapids, my hips the stern, her hand the pivoting blade through water. I reached out to return the favor, but she said, no, relax. I don't want you to do anything. And that's a move I don't know. The move to nothing to be completely empty and open, effortlessly receiving pleasure without thought to strategy or counter. She placed my hands above my head and then she pulled and pressed and bit like I was the last piece of fruit on earth and her survival depended on it. She consumed every inch of skin, every drop of juice. I didn't notice any pain, just the joy of proper use. There was a fretboard between my legs and a sound box in my mouth. There were cords that never existed until she pulled them out and there were no chains or whips. But I would have called her master, not because I felt like I was less than her, but because it felt like she knew things about my body that I didn't like. She'd been studying it a thousand years and she deserved a fucking certificate. Like I was the <laughs> eastern sky. I was the paramount and she was the goddess that had just conquered the last square of a turbulent mind. And then she asks me, how do you feel? And I say, alive i guess i'm a sub whatever that means i guess i'm a femme whatever that means i guess sex doesn't really fit in boxes anymore sexuality and gender are words and images clipped from magazines to be glued down on our vision boards but the way they are originally assembled doesn't make sense anymore we are undefinable prisms of light shades of masculine and feminine looking for someone to bounce life off of looking for someone to give what we need to receive and to receive when we need to give and when it's done right both gets done at the same time and sometimes it's rough like bone to bone like your insides clean kind of love sometimes it's candle wax on torsos moonbeams on eyelashes sometimes there's no skin involved at all it's just being to being here let me hold that soul for you you've been drowning in labels for so long you've grown tired of survival here's a moment of bliss a moment of aliveness all day long i expand i hold together i lift up i give out and some days i just take in Ta-da! How does it feel to say that poem? It feels really good. I think that's why I've never gotten sick of it. Um, and the story behind the pronouns is that, like, one time I went to this poetry reading, um, and it was, like, a different spot. I was, like, a featured poet, and it was a different spot than I normally went to. And it somebody got up and said some really homophobic shit. And um, I had originally written that poem about a guy I knew that was, uh, like not, he was a friend of mine. Um, not, uh, like, and we were, we just were intimate, but it was almost like a training. Like he was like showing me like what, you know, BDSM culture was basically. And like, I had never really experienced that before. And so the original poem was kind of about that. Um, and then this is sad, but he committed suicide, um, and I was at this poem with my, I was at this club with my girlfriends about to say this poem that talked about him that I knew they would like because it was a very hetero kind of environment. 
Um, and I decided right then on the spot to just flip all the pronouns to she, um, just to like fuck with the people in the audience. And at that time I had never like come out on stage. Like I was dating a woman, but I had not ever said that on stage as far as I know. And so it was really uncomfortable, but I did it. And then it felt like the exact way the poem was supposed to be. And it felt like about my ex-girlfriend like you know like it felt like but also it was just like the room needed it to be that and my experience with sexuality and gender is that it is you know it's I think of it like a vision board like you get to cut and paste and make it how you want and that was why I felt like you know you should always be able to flip the pronouns of any poem you know Mm -hmm. so that's that but doing it makes me yeah definitely feel like sensual it makes me feel sensual too (laughs) (sighs) okay we've obviously already talked about good sex a lot Mm -hmm. but in your opinion what makes good sex good Mm. okay well i don't um I don't know. Okay, so what's good for me is communication, right? And like being able to be completely uh, vulnerable with your partner and say what you need and what you want. You know, um, when I first started dating my husband, um, I still had a lot of BDSM stuff I wanted to like try and work out and we were able to do that I think you know that's why that time with the church bells was so good like we were able to like really try out things and experiment and role play and like I think role playing is really helpful because even just taking on someone else's name for a moment like gives you a certain amount of like freedom to to just like be uh you know, animalistic and wild and whatever. Like we used to do a Brad and Claire situation that was good, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we had different characters, but it would kind of give us like freedom to say, um, you know, I could say Brad and Claire and he knew like what that was, like what personas we were taking on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, you know, said something else, like he would know, you know, that was something else I wanted. So like to have a partner that you trust on that level and then to, to get to the place like later on, we just both kind of got over all that and we were like, yeah, I don't really want to try that anymore. Um, we tried it. And so it's like, it's, I think it's always nice to have a partner that grows with you as well. And like gives you space to like be your full blooming sexual self and, you know, change your mind um, and have, you know, have a consent that's set up so firmly and so strongly that, like, you know, you know that even if you are experimenting with something, you can always change your mind and say, no, nah, this isn't, no, nope. <laughs> not working, <laughs> try something else, you know. Um, and that's that when you have that freedom is when I feel like everything gets better. The orgasms are better. I want to say, because I don't know. You know, I don't know what the demographic of your show is. I'm assuming, you know, middle-aged women, not middle-aged, you're young, but like, you know, (laughs) anyway, young to middle-aged. I want to say if you are someone and probably if you're listening to a sex podcast, you're not someone who who like 
hasn't ever had a vaginal orgasm, but if you haven't, um, I feel like don't lose hope. You know, there's like this feeling of like, okay, I can't, and it's okay if you can't, but like, I thought that I, there was something wrong with me that I couldn't do it. Um, and the inside come is very important, you know? And so, uh, I just want to say that like your body might change and you might get to a certain age where you actually can, uh, cause that happened for me. So just, oh, just giving that hope out there <laughs> for you like, younger ones. We can all use a little hope. Yeah. <laughs> Also, queer sex is generally funner than straight sex, just saying, or straight sex that is queer, right? Like, I feel like this is why, I, okay, we really could talk for, I could talk about this forever, so I'll try to be concise, but that is why I like to use broader terms like Jibo, because I feel like you, everyone has a Jibo, even if you're straight identified, like, that's part of it, but what I see about people and how we do gender and sexuality is that it's more of this, like, sort of sphere, you know, this ever-changing, rolling um, energy that we encompass as human. And so there's just so much, I've, you know, spoken about this in the poems, but it's like, there's just so much variation in every single human being that you couldn't possibly only have two orientations, two genders, two, you know, that doesn't make any sense. And so even if you're in a, you know, female assigned body and someone else is in a male assigned body and you're doing whatever the traditional like hetero situation is, there's still like this, you know, uh, spectrum that's being experienced of masculine and feminine and power and all the things that come along with that. So yeah, everybody's a little queer is what I believe. I'm here for that. Okay. <laughs> what have been some of the most meaningful lessons you have gained from having sex over the course of your life? Don't mistake hand sanitizer for lube. Yeah. Did that happen to you? Sad. <laughs> Especially right now, you guys, keep your hand sanitizer and your lube in completely separate places. Clearly labeled. Um, oh, God. Yeah. They both had bumps awful. on them. They were both on the side of the bed. My husband's a nurse, so he always has, like, a pump hand sanitizer by the bed. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, that burned. That was bad. Um <laughs> Uh, there's probably lots more. I mean, I think like we've been saying, um, it, you know, being able to talk about what you want, I feel like is the, is the key. Right. Um, but also there is like techniques like the san you know, don't sanitizer. Um, uh, I read once that the proper pressure for the clitoris for stimulation of the clitoris is the weight of two sheets of paper. And I think that's a great image to be able to, like, when you're imagining pressure, because I almost always, uh, you're almost always doing it too hard, whether it's your clit or someone else's. Um, and so, yeah, 
Think of a piece of paper. That's a, that was a good tip. Um, what what are your tips? Ooh, like for technique, you know, like for technique. Oh gosh, I'm not used to people turning the tables on oh, me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um. Don't underestimate the palm of your hand. There you go. People do a lot. Like, fingertips are great. Mm -hmm. But I think I often, with with the various partners I've had in my life, I've always wanted more just, like, full hand on my body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wherever it is. That's my tip. I agree. That's a good tip. Yeah. I do think people are tend to be like, oh, let me just like caress you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, no, get in there with your whole hand. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Also, I think it's helpful to have, depending on what kind of sex you're having, but queer sex is usually really messy, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even if you don't identify as queer, I would highly recommend uh, toys. I like getting some toys involved because I feel like I, and I know that I, I know the straights use toys, but um, I feel like queers typically have like uh, just a wide variety, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So I always say get toys um, because, and, and get a different, get a, what do you call that? Waterproof mattress cover. That sounds wise. Sounds like a good investment. I thought of a poem. It's real short. Okay, it's called Mr. Sisters. It's um, based on a sex shop in Providence, Rhode Island. Outside the sex shop, there is a discussion about whether a femme should bring her own dick on a date that might result in sex. The dick she likes. The one she uses at home. Washes with organic soap. Or if she should be fucked with whatever dick her lover wants to use, the cock belonging to the fucker and not the fucky. Two femmes say that the sub should bring their own. One says they should use all of the dicks. The shaggy butch says it's her cock and she will use the one that fits best, the one that fits the ring on the harness she picked out with her first wife, which poses the question, do you use with a new lover the same dick you used on your ex-wife, the one she threw at you when you said the thing about her sister? Cis men don't cut off their dicks when they get a new partner, the sporty dom says. Everyone shakes their head in agreement. But the guy with the nose piercing and cuffed jeans says, see, that's how I know it's serious. When we go cock shopping and we pick out the perfect everlasting cock together. I think that is the perfect note to bring this episode to a close yeah it's so fun it's so fun to have a place to share these you know, oh my gosh like I, food poems we'll definitely have to do this again laura yes yes oh, this is fun I'm, I'm glad that you're doing this i'm glad that you're talking about sex especially good sex because we definitely know the bad sex exists but um yeah yeah i think this is great i'm glad you're in the world
Thank you. I'm glad you're in the world. You in your quarantined house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm thankful I didn't. I'd been thinking about renting some studio space, and I'm glad I uh, had not yet jumped on that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. <sighs> Again, just thank you so much for joining me today. You always have such a light and rosiness about you and Aww. just a very, like beautiful mom energy oh thank you always have so thank you oh thanks robin divine feminine yes maybe have so me bold. back maybe i could do a guest segment or something ask mom there we go i like it it could happen i will <laughs> with your consent i'll i'll put it out to the people be like hey how would you feel if we had a guest segment yeah once an episode or once a month with Ask Mom by with Lauren Zuniga. Yeah. We'll see what the people say. Okay. <laughs> Look right. for it, people. Yeah. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Have a have great a time. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Peak, which was hosted and produced by me, Robin Wheelock. Our theme music was produced by Johnny Manchild of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. You can follow The Peak on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at Listen to the Peak. For more information, visit us at thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeak.blubrry.net. If you want to support The Peak, you can make a contribution to our Coffee, Venmo, or PayPal accounts so that we can make better and more frequent episodes for you. You can also support us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or wherever it is you listen. Thank you.